Hello, this is Pastor Jay with Walking Truth with your Dig Deeper Bible Study. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. That's without God. Stay tuned. In what color is what time? What time is what is it? What time is purple? And my mind went three different places too. What time is purple? And we on page nine. And in the, in the, in the, starting with what? Where the road forks. Where the road forks. Okay, go ahead, free to read. If interpretations of historical evidences are based on assumptions, we should probably look closer at how we choose our assumptions. While we think our assumptions are self-evident, we actually choose them in accordance with our worldview. Simply put, a worldview is a framework through which we see the world. It's a perspective of reality that makes sense to us and offers at least some explanation for why things are as they are and work as they do. Ultimately, our worldview determines what we believe and why we believe it. And I told you on the line that what we believe and why we believe it. What we believe and why we believe it and we act upon why and what we believe. Go ahead. As previously stated, the worldviews concerning us here are theism and atheism with a special emphasis on biblical theism. Biblical theism is about the Bible. Atheism means no God. Theism is God. Atheism is no God. Go ahead. However, before talking about biblical theism, it might be helpful to first consider theism in general. Broadly speaking, a theist believes in the evidence of a God or gods. Mm -hmm. More specifically, theists believe this God is the creative source of the world. Furthermore, most theists believe this God is supernatural, transcends time and space, and exists without any reliance on the natural universe for its own being. <coughs> Pantheism being one exception. While this doesn't mean a theistic God couldn't enter the natural universe or orchestrate events occurring within it, its existence is wholly other from the world we live in. Okay, I didn't explain what pantheism is. Pantheism is like the Greek gods. You have a chief god, but you have other gods, and really they kind of all work together. It's, that's not one supreme god, even though Zeus might, you might think that, but if you know some of the stories, you know Zeus can get in trouble and all that stuff. So pantheism is a multi-god unit, okay? Multi-god. Uh, Hinduism, multi-god. Uh, what's another one of Eastern religions? Uh, Confucianism. Conf no, Confucianism. No, because Confucius is the one. Um, Hinduism, um, Buddhism. Yeah, multiple gods, not just one. Okay, go ahead. As you have probably surmised, biblical theism narrows it down to the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Conversely, <coughs> the atheistic worldview doesn't allow for either the possibility or probability of such an entity. Instead, most atheists accept a view called naturalism, which says only nature exists and it is sufficient to explain the world around us. This position can be rooted in several ideas, but two of the most common are there isn't, there isn't sufficient material slash natural evidences to justify a belief in God. And if God exists, he wouldn't coexist with things like evil and suffering, and especially not if he could do anything about them. At heart, 
Atheists want irrefutable, natural, evidentiary proof that a supernatural God exists before they are willing to believe one actually does. But is that kind of absolute proof even possible? No matter what one believes about God's existence or how one thinks being or how one thinks such a being would act, neither theism nor atheism can be scientifically proved or disproved. So atheists can't prove that there is not a God and empirically, and we can't prove that there is a God empirically. Both of us have to go by another form. You can't prove just because they say we are evolution don't mean it's so. But that's what we're taught in school. And see, that's what I'm saying. We don't know the difference between a theory and a fact. A theory is what it means. It's a theory. That's somebody thinking something that may probably be true with enough evidence, but it's not yet a proven scientific fact. It's a theory. So evolution is a theory. It's not a fact, okay? But it's the theory that mankind has grabbed, grabbed hold to to negate God. See, if I don't believe in God, i got to believe in something. And if I'm going to believe in something... It's better for me to believe in, 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 in evolution as we see it in America and throughout the world and say, okay, everything was random. Just one day, everything started making itself. And, and the, like I say, the probability of that versus a God is so improbable. I mean, like I said, it's like me throwing up a, a whole bunch of, of playing cards and saying, okay, they're going to turn into a giraffe. That's not going to happen. Okay, I can sit and throw up all I want. They're not going to all of a sudden just get a mindset to form a giraffe. But that's what they want us to believe with evolution, that all of a sudden all these materials came together and said, let us make man. But again, we do know a material came together. God said, let us make man. It wasn't just the material itself because we all made of dust. The fact that when you die, you're not animated anymore. I mean, look at the body. It's just a body. You know, it's the same body that, that was breathing and talking and doing, but it's just a body. It's made of dust. It's made of dirt. And it will go back to that state without God. Okay, go ahead. For theists to scientifically prove God exists, they would have to seek evidence beyond the realm of nature. For atheists to prove God doesn't exist, they would have to possess complete first-hand knowledge of all things and all places in the universe, both past and present. In either case, the required evidence isn't accessible, so scientific evidence, or the lack of it, can't be used as the criteria for choosing one worldview over the other. Where does this leave us? If we can't go into a laboratory or look through a telescope to prove or disprove God's existence, how can we possibly choose the correct worldview? Let's consider what each of these worldviews is asking us to accept and then ask ourselves if accepting it really makes sense. Why is there scenery? Have you ever traveled down a highway, looked out the window and thought, I wonder why something exists rather than nothing? If so, you pondered a question that has intrigued people since the dawn of time. After all, what could be more fundamental to our understanding of reality than knowing why it's here? Maybe we should pause a moment and reflect our options. One, everything came from something. First, there's the idea that things exist because an eternal something has always existed. Whether this eternal something is God, as biblical theism claims, or something from within the natural universe, as atheism claims. It seems as the ultimate uncaused cause of everything that exists today. <clears throat> or two, everything came from nothing. Second, there's the idea that things exist because something just popped out of nothing. Now keep in mind, when we say nothing, 
we mean absolutely nothing. No laws of physics, no forces, no energy, no space, no time, no matter, no anything. In fact, there wouldn't have been so much as a vacuum for this nothing to not exist in. Under these circumstances, something would have had to create itself out of absolutely nothing, and this before it even existed. And that to go with the old saying, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. nothing. <laughs> you can't claim something if it's nothing because the minute you say something, it's something. It's, yeah. yeah. So for them to say the world was created out of nothing, how is that possible when there's nothing there to create from? Okay? It's lot. This ain't even a super scientific thing. It's just like logic, you know. But, but again, that's what I tell the Christians. You're not supposed to lose your common sense when you become a Christian. It's supposed to enhance your common sense. Okay, you ain't supposed to be, you ain't, you know, you ain't supposed to be way out there in left field. You're supposed to be real practical, real, real commonsensical when dealing with certain things. You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't be all out there. And with creation, just simple. How can I get? If I have nothing, how can I have something? And the minute I claim that nothing is something, then it has to be something. It's nothing. It's not nothing anymore. You go back and forth with that all day long. Nothing is nothing. Something is something. The, the two will never meet. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Considering the plausibility of our choices, it seems our only rational option is to believe something has always existed. Some argue that absolutely nothing should be considered as something, demonstrating even they rightly understand the absurdity of option number two, unless they redefine the terms. This being the case, let's now consider which of the somethings can account for reality. Now that we've established something has existed eternally and acted as the uncaused cause of all that exists, let's look at how the somethings of biblical theism and atheism differ. Okay, now I want you to get you got to a situation where you should hear the word uncaused cause. And I want to kind of break that down for you. An uh, uncaused cause means if it's always existed, nothing caused it to exist. Say that one more time. An uncaused cause is God. He's always existed. So there's nothing that created him. So he's the uncaused cause that caused everything into existence. You follow what I'm saying? He's, he, he, he's always existed. There's not been a time that he did not exist and nothing created him. Okay? Nothing created God. God is uncaused, meaning that he'd have to bring himself together. He always has been. So he causes action, everything else to exist. So that's the he's the uncaused cause. Now, some people call it, you might hear this word out here, intelligent design. Those are people who understand what I just said, but don't want to give it to God or the Bible. Yeah. Okay? They know something intelligent had you create all this intelligence. So they believe in that, but they don't necessarily believe it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? So that's an easier thing to convince somebody who understands it had to be something that created all of this, and it had to be something that wasn't created. It had to be something that always lived, always been eternal. And thank God he's always been eternal. Amen. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. After all, these are the pe peculiarities that put these worldviews worlds apart. Starting with biblical theism, the something that has always existed is a transcendent, uncreated God, complete with attributes described in the Bible. Things like personhood, having a mind that thinks and a will that acts, power, exercise with both purpose and intentionality. Intentionality, yeah. 
and preferences such as moral behavior. These are essential ingredients in biblical theism's God package. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, God would be identical to random mindless energy. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anything happen outside of God's will? Yes or no? Does anything happen? Can anything happen outside of God's will? Yes. Give me one. People going hell. No. That's justice. That's God's will. That is his will. Okay. I'll, I'll come back and answer that later. Yeah. It's like y'all, y'all have a different opinion. But, 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 think about this. The Bible says He ordains what? Everything. Say that again, Everything. That comes to what? Fruition. To pass. Pass. So. Does anything else happen outside of God's ordained will? No. Because no. everything is everything. Yes. Now, what we're talking about is the levels of his will, his permissive will, and his active will, which I'll explain later. But, but there is a permissive will that allows you to sin. There's a permissive will that allows you to make mistakes. There's a permissive will that has, th that we sit back and go like, no, that ain't God's will for our life. No. That's the grace part of God. You see what I'm saying? God graciously allows you to be a fool. Amen. Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hoping that you will realize and repent and come back into his prescribed will for your life. Yeah. Okay. We got the permissive will. And then what you say about the other will? We have the active will or the passive will of God, which means he doesn't really interfere. He allows you to go ahead. But don't. And when I say his will, this is what you got to think of. Does anything escape him? Is he surprised by anything? Oh, yeah. Right. No. Yeah, he's not sitting there going, I wonder why are you doing that? I didn't know that you could do that. No. He knows. Yeah. And if he didn't want it to happen, he could intervene and make it not happen. We know that. Because we want miracles, right? So so nature's going one way, and all of a sudden he said, No, that person get cured of cancer right now. And there's no rhyme or reason because normally everybody who had that go go die. But that one person, them two people, somebody you know, gets a miracle like that, even through medicine, and they get a complete cure, and it's God that then did that. You know, then train the surgeons. You know, God is working with them doctors. Man, medicine is awesome sometimes. Sometimes it's messed up. But God has got some godly people in medicine that really want to heal you. They don't care nothing about no money. And I got a good doctor that's like that. He don't care nothing about no money. He wants to heal you and is upset when what he gives you don't work. He be feeling bad for, for you. He be like, no, I wish I Let me call somebody else. Maybe somebody else knows something. But nothing happens outside of God's will. Go ahead. Read. Atheists, on the other hand, believe this eternal something is the universe. As articulated by the late Carl Sagan, who said, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. But unlike biblical theism's God, atheism's universe has no mind and thus no thoughts, purposes, or intentions. It doesn't, <coughs> it doesn't prefer things like good or evil, orchestrate things like evolution, or decide things like let there be light. For the atheist, the universe simply exists and it abides by whatever physical reactions and interactions its existence enables. 
This, however, is where atheism's something runs into serious trouble with explaining reality. Mathematical traffic jam. The first question smart gamblers ask is, what are the odds? There's good reason for it. Playing the odds gives them the best chance at winning. However, the odds for many things we see in our universe coming into existence without any intelligent input or intentionality are so mind-numbingly improbable, it requires an irrational dose of blind faith to even consider them. How mind-numbing, you ask? I'll give you just one brief example. Take living cells and the biological proteins that compose them. If we consider just one simple living cell consisting of only 250 short proteins, and those 250 proteins each consist of only 150 amino acids, they can consist of up to 30,000 amino acids. The odds that these 37,500 amino acids, which is 250 proteins times 150 amino acids, could all rearrange themselves in a sequence where the cell could actually function is only one chance in 10 to the 41,000th power. That's a one followed by 41,000 zeros. That's a lethal problem for atheism. Even if the universe were 14 billion years old, that's the oldest estimate even the most ardent atheists give it, there hasn't been nearly enough time for 10 and 41,000 to the 10th power attempts at anything, not by a long shot. And that's only one example out of countless others we could offer. At this point, some may suggest believing in God is required, believing in God requires as much blind faith as believing in one in 10 to 41,000th power odds, but that isn't the case. In fact, it's a nonsensical comparison. These kinds of mathematical improbabilities apply only when unintentional randomness is involved. To ask what the probability is of God existing is like asking what time is purple. As if the mathematical improbabilities weren't large enough potholes on atheism's road to truth, there are two fundamental laws that further impede its progress. The second law of thermodynamics and the law of non-contradiction. The second law of thermodynamics is a scientific axiom describing how systems tend to decay and use up their available energy. If we think of the universe as one system, over time, order will disintegrate into disorder and its available energy will be depleted. The law of non-contradiction is a foundational rule of logic that states something can't be both true and not true at the same time and in the same context. For example, this booklet cannot be a booklet and not a booklet at the same time. Right. So, and I've said that word before, non-contradiction. We both, we both can have an opinion on something. The law of non-contradiction says either you're right, I'm right, or we're both wrong, but we can't be both right. <laughs> like okay, for instance, if I said that that piano cover is blue, and she said it was black, she's right. I'm wrong. Let's say she said it was purple. I said it was blue. Well, we both can't be right, can we? We will both be what wrong at that point. So when you have two ideas that are diabolically different from each other, 
They both can't be right. You can't say there's a God and there's not a God. Either there's a God or there's not a God or there's something else. But we both can't be right mm, yes. at the same time, in the same context. You know, so that's when like when people say stuff like, uh, well, you have your opinion, my, I have my opinion. Well, the problem is, is there's no truth in opinions. Because, yes, we can have multiple opinions, but let's just deal with the, with the, the, the logic in this. Either I'm right, or you right, or we're both wrong, we're both missing it. And nine times out of ten, when it comes to the word of God, both people probably are missing it. Because <laughs> they ain't been taught, okay? Rarely do I get in conversation with people where it's like you could tell they really know what they're talking about. Because they're just regurgitating what they didn't heard. You know, for real. It's, 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 it's at an epidemic level. The, the law of non-contradiction, then when you bring it out, they don't understand. They act like they don't understand when you're saying we both can't be right. You know, either it's a God or it's not a God. You know, it can't be both. You know, then if there's a God, if there's not a God, there got to be something else. But we can't be both right in the same context. You know, you can't tell me you agree with me but disagree with me. You know, that doesn't make sense. That's like when we say we agree to disagree. That's really a non-contradictory thing. But go ahead. Just two simple laws, but here's why atheism's eternal universe must slam on the brakes when forced to abide by them. One, because the second law of thermodynamics is true, a living organisms and their systems tend to involve tend to devolve downward rather than evolve upward, and B, our universe must have had a beginning and cannot have existed eternally. And what he means by this is just something about death, our body decay. We have a starting point, a birth, and instead of going up, we get older and go down. Okay? So just think of our bodies. Start off young and vibrant, and then next thing you know, you start head down here. It's like you start doing this, then all of a sudden, you start doing that. Because the law of thermodynamics says everything is decays. It goes down. It uses up energy, and as it uses up energy, it declines. That's what we do in our bodies. Go ahead. These two points catch many asleep at the wheel. Why? Because, one, they don't realize this law negates the possibility of the origin of life and evolutionary development in the naturalistic sense most people think of it. And, two, they fail to realize that if the universe is continuously depleting its energy, yet some energy remains, the universe had a relatively recent beginning. Beginnings are something eternal entities can't experience. Otherwise, all its energy would have been depleted eons ago. Two, because the law of non-contradiction is true, the second law of thermodynamics cannot also be false. Since the second law of thermodynamics cannot be false, believing in either naturalistic evolution or an eternal universe is both illogical and unscientific. So basically what, she's, what, he's, what he's trying to point out to you is if evolution says we're getting better, think about it. We go from monkeys to humans, right? Yeah. yeah. Law, second law of thermodynamics say it don't work like that. You devolve. You don't evolve. You don't go to the next level like that, humanly speaking, okay? Spiritually we do. But humanly speaking, like what they're saying is if evolution is true, we're getting ready. We're not who we are. We're not who we are today. We're going to be something else, you know, having many hundred million years from now. Okay? 
But the, but the law of nature says, you think about this. You know the sun is burning out. Y'all know that, right? Out. Yeah. The sun that mm -hmm. is a big ball of fire that's using up fuel. And it is burning out. Now, when it burn out, we don't know. But the sun is burning out. Okay? The, the, what you call a supernova. Y'all even listen to y'all in y'all science class. When suns explode, when a sun uses up its energy, it implodes and explodes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Think of Superman. Yeah, his sun exploded, used up its energy, and then it exploded. Okay? Same thing when our sun is 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 using up its energy and it's a nuclear type of energy. Okay? They say the sun is like so many millions, billions of nuclear bombs going off at once, you know, and it's using up its energy. But we don't know when it's going to be used up. I mean, it could be 10,000 years from now, a million years from now, but it is using up its energy, okay? We can't really tell because it's so powerful. Yeah, go ahead. It's enough to make you think, but actually the act of thinking brings atheism to another series of roadblocks. When a worldview is built on the assumption that a thinking creator doesn't exist, it has a difficult time explaining mental realities. It becomes even more complicated when some mental realities are given more value than others. Let's consider three. Thoughts. I know what you're thinking. Well, actually I don't, but I suspect you are thinking. I also suspect that whatever you're thinking, you're thinking those thoughts are real, possessing at least some degree of value and meaning. But if so, that raises several questions. For one, if everything that exists, including our thoughts, can be explained as mere byproducts of chemical interactions involving mindless matter and energy, wouldn't it mean our thoughts are nothing but physical reactions determined solely by the laws of physics and chemistry? If so, wouldn't the sense of having some measure of control over our thoughts be just an illusion? For another, how could mindless matter and energy acquire self-awareness or the ability to think in the first place? Wouldn't it be more likely that mindless physical properties would remain just that, mindless? These are the kinds of dead ends atheism leads to. If everything in our universe, including our thoughts, can't be explained as a mere reaction to impulses dictated by purely natural mindless causes, then nothing, including our thoughts, has any real worth or value, not even our thoughts about thoughts. <clears throat> beauty. People often say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but this isn't always true, at least not in the sense most people mean it. I learned this one summer while riding a motorcycle up the Blue Ridge Parkway. When I what I discovered was the parkway's designers had included several scenic overlooks along the route where people could pull off the main highway and see indescribably beautiful vis vistas of the Great Smoky Mountains. What intrigued me was how those road designers knew exactly which spots people would agree were beautiful. That got me wondering. From a purely physical standpoint, aren't all scenes whether mountain ranges or small or strip malls, just light reflecting off atoms that is processed by our brains into images? Or put another way, doesn't everything we see boil down to elements, light, electricity, and chemical reactions? And if we substitute the sound waves for light, the same could be said of music. Evidently not. 
Regardless of the physical realities, we still determine that some scenes and sounds are more beautiful than others. But where does this value we call beauty originate? And why do brains seem to prefer some scenes over others? Naturally, some might suggest that feathers like bright colored feathers, which most people consider beautiful, enhance a creature's likelihood of reproducing, which in turn could be considered as an evolutionary development. But it doesn't explain why most of us think light reflections from scenic mountain overlooks hold more value than light reflections from garbage dumps, or why words like beauty entered the human language at all. Morals and standards. When was the last time you were upset and what were you upset about? I'm guessing it was because something or someone didn't measure up to your standards you consider acceptable. Am I right? If so, you proved you have a moral yardstick. You use it every time you feel annoyed or get angry. Not only do all people have moral yardsticks, it's amazingly how similar they all are. Take child abuse, for instance. If there is a same, is there a sane person alive who thinks child abuse is acceptable? Of course there isn't. Or what about helping friends in need? Don't most people agree that helping friends in need is the right thing to do? But as with common ideas about beauty, when we realize there are objective moral realities, we start running into a lot of questions atheism has a hard time answering. First, if we have intuitive sense of how things ought to be, and it seems we do, doesn't it mean we have an idea of what perfection is supposed to be? If not, how are we able to recognize when something or someone falls short? There must be some concept of the idea implanted in us Otherwise, we wouldn't know when things weren't measuring up. So where does this idea of perfection come from? Second, why is it when we see things that aren't how they ought to be, we want them fixed and made right? Things like injustice, cruelty, or racist attitudes. Again, atheists will propose such inclinations serve some evolutionary purpose, but it really doesn't explain why we believe some things, like racism, are just wrong no matter what twisted purpose they may serve. And third, this is the question we always return to. How could non-thinking entities like atoms and electricity possibly be the ultimate source for anything concerned with right and wrong? Even if we assume they could mysteriously start thinking, why would they ever start caring? Theism's response. Briefly stated, Theists believe non-physical realities like thoughts, ideas of beauty, and objective moral standards require a mental source, a supernatural mind, if you will. Their reasoning is simple. It requires too much faith to believe non-conscious entities like atoms and energy could transform themselves through the laws of physics into thoughts about anything. Even if they did, Without a theistic source, there would be no reason to give some thoughts more value than others. Yeah, think about this. Think about this, and I mean, it's kind of like uh, you can see it in what we're going through. A body's dead. With God, a theist, God, there's thoughts, there's feelings, there's a sense of right and wrong. It can move. But the minute that God removes his spirit from that body, you could hit that body with a sledgehammer and it don't feel nothing. That body has no more morality to it. That's why we call, that's why we, 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 we are so caught up in our flesh 
because that's what the Bible teaches our flesh. In our flesh, there dwells no good thing, meaning that from this thing here, and because it wants what it wants to stay happy, it has no morality. Because it will do whatever it wants to do to be satisfied. My job and the, and, and the Holy Spirit's job, my job is to surrender to the Holy Spirit that bring this under subjection. Whereas when we were created by God, our spirits ran our body. When we fell, our bodies began to run our spirit. Okay? And now for those of us who get saved, we're trying to have that war going on in us to get back in line to what God wanted us to be. Spiritual beings with a body that's ran by the spirit. Not that we're motivated. Because think about this. Adam and Eve were, quote unquote, the word naked. What did God ask them? Who said you was naked? You know why? Because they have no concept of nakedness. They had no concept of nakedness until they disobeyed God. They was walking around just being themselves. There was no need for clothes. No need for cover. Because God, whatever garden Eden was, it had to be the perfect temperature because there was no need for clothing. Okay? So, in our that's why in our best deeds of our best day is tainted. Because there's a little bit of this in that. A little bit. And for those who think there ain't, they fooling themselves. Well, I do this and I do that and I don't never do this. The fact that you up here saying it lets you know you're not humble. You ain't got to tell nobody what you do. Just let what you do stand for itself. But again, we all, not you, me separate from you, me too. I accept what God says about me. You know what I'm saying? I accept what he says about my heart. I accept what he says about who I am, a worm. I accept everything about God. But in accepting of, of my shortcomings, I accept everything he said I am with him too. You see what I'm saying? So if I'm saved, I'm saved to the uttermost. You follow what I'm saying? So that's why when you accept who you are in God, you say, I need a God like we got. Because I ain't as good as I think I am. Jesus said, there's none good but God. And Romans said, there's none seeking after God. No, not one. None of us. I don't care you can tell that lie to yourself. You didn't find God. God found you. You tell a lie to somebody else like you woke up one day and you found God sovereignly woke you up. If faith come by hearing and hearing come by the word of God, he didn't say nothing, you did anything. Everything that you go through in your Christian walk is God. It ain't you. <clears throat> That's how you get the glory. And the quicker you start recognizing that whatever you do in God is God doing it through you and give him the glory, you'll find yourself at peace a lot. Because you know whatever good you do is God. I can't claim it. All I did was yield to it. Amen. You know, and it's a continuous process. It's a learning process. All right? Go ahead. We're going to finish this. Okay. Let's pull over and review where we've been, consider what we've seen, and determine if we're making any progress. Keep in mind how one's world how one's worldview holds up to these observations will determine its <coughs> merit. So it might be good to spend some time here. One, something has always existed. Atheism proposes this natural universe. Biblical theism proposes a supernatural God. Two, 
since both the law, the second law of thermodynamics and the law of non-contradiction are true, the universe has not always existed. Three, neither atheism nor theism can be scientifically proved or disproved. Now you need to put a star by that one. So when you meet an atheist, you can say, let's just start off. Neither one of our uh, uh, positions can be scientifically proved or disproved. Four, historical evidence is interpreted on the basis of assumptions. <coughs> Five, evidence or the lack of it cannot serve as the basis for choosing a worldview. Six, a worldview <coughs> must be chosen on the basis of reasonable, rational probabilities. Seven, the mathematical probabilities of complex realities such as living cells randomly forming are so infinitesimal no rational person would consider them possible. Eight, objective mental realities exist in our universe. Nine, objective moral realities exist in our universe. And 10, Objective, mental, and moral realities can only be explained if they have a thinking and moral source. Okay, so now let's look at number six. Read six again. Six, a worldview must be chosen on the basis of reasonable, rational probabilities. Okay, the key word, underline that, probability. Now there's a point in the Bible that says all things are what? Possible. In God, all things are possible, right? Impossible, it were possible, probable, two different words. And it means two different things. All things are possible for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But all things are probable. What I mean is, God has a kind of orderly reaction to stuff. And when he does something outside what we normally see him do, that's what we call a miracle. Like, if the sun rose in the west and set in the east, that would be a miracle because it's possible that it could happen, but the probability God would have to be showing that that would be a sign of signs if that happened. Okay? We would know something about to go down if that happened. Okay? What I'm saying is it's possible. Possible is anything. Probable is the likelihood. Okay? It is possible for me to become an astronaut right now. But what's the probability due to the circumstances of who I am right now that I will become an astronaut? It's the probability is not as good. Okay? But our problem with society is we take the best part of our brain and sit them, like I told you. You need to teach your kids all things are possible in Christ Jesus, but you got to prepare for the probability of things happening for you. You don't go to school, you're not going to be no astronaut. Okay? I'll, you know, we tell our kids, you can do anything you want to do. No, that's possibility. Yes, there's a possibility you can do anything you want to do. But if you don't prepare for it, the possibility is just a possibility, which is basically a pipe dream, but the probability of it, you becoming it is zero to none. Okay? You need to prepare for what you're going to be. So the probability will kick in, and it's like, oh, they went and got physics, they went and got chemistry, they did it. Oh, they head in that direction of probability. It's just not a dream anymore. It's a goal. See, when, when it becomes, it goes from a dream to a goal, it goes from possibility to probability. Because a goal has to be 
be acted on, prepared for. You got to do something to achieve. You can measure where you're going in the right direction. And the same thing with your Christian walk. It's called sanctification. You should be able to measure how far you come by the way you handle what I preach about Sunday. Oh, God. People who listen, this is what I go through. What I preach about Sunday. Begin with a T. Begin with a T. R. O. U. B. L. E. Trouble. Yes. Yes. I'm going to have to shorten the span up on it. I'm going to have to edit it to make it seem like y'all just. Yeah. But no, but serious though. You, 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 you know, you know, and again, I got it. I, you know, I used to be upset about stuff like this, but it don't bother me because everybody, this is the thing. You can measure how far you've come with God by how you handle trouble. Yeah. You really can. I've been watching her. Her mother even said she's been a rock. And, and, and I got to use her as an example. And I don't use her as an example because I'm talking about her. I'm using her as an example because she's one of us. Right. Man, I don't want y'all to get this thing like I'm picking on somebody. I'm, I'm trying to pick on them and saying, look at her, and that's you too. Whatever freedom is or isn't, we are too. We're the same body, right? Whatever you are or not, we are too. It ain't me up here, you down there. We all in this together. So we should better talk amongst each other, about each other, showing the failures and the successes. And Frida has went through both. To the point, she you know what, I'm all over the place. I'm my feelings. But when the time came, when the trouble came, the real trouble came, she stood up. And she used her biblical teaching to show how far she's grown. That's what I like to see. Yeah, you're going to be confused. You're supposed to be. But when the rubber meets the road, you should show up like a Goodyear tire. Show up. And when you show up, God will show out through you. And for her mother to say she has been the rock, she the baby. She the baby. She handling it. Grieving herself, handling her mother, handling her child, handling her household, and she's still coming to Bible study. She would have every reason not to be here today, right? But you know what she said last night to me? I'm going to be in Bible study. I'm going to squeeze it in. See, that's that. That's how you know you're growing. It ain't got nothing to do with what you're doing in Scripture. She's living the growth before me. And that's what makes me proud of each one of you when, when trouble hits. Because see, that's what I like to say. Like, hmm, how do you act when trouble hits? You look for excuses to blame other people and you ask why is this happening to me? Or do you just go handle like God and say, well, what did God say about trouble? God say, when you get in trouble, lean on me. God say, we, that trouble's going to happen. God say, around every corner is some trouble. But, don't last all well. No. See, we know this. But you got to live through it to say, you know what, God, I trust you. Whatever you say about it, I can go through it. Because the Bible says these things were written aforetime for our learning that through them we might endure and be encouraged 
in the scriptures that give us hope. See, it's the teaching of the scriptures that you stand on when you're in trouble. Trust me, I'm a witness. It worked. And I watched it work in each one of you in this room. But you got to be, that's how you know you're growing when you're tested. Anything else in that book? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. These 10 statements appear to be undeniable regardless of one's worldview. Granted, they don't scientifically prove God exists, but they do reveal that more blind faith is required for atheism than most atheists probably realize. They also expose the extremes atheists are willing to go to in maintaining their position. For some, it, might, it may be time to pause and reflect. Perhaps atheism isn't holding up as well as they thought it would. Perhaps they should reconsider some beliefs or perhaps start over. If you're one of them, you might be realizing changing one's worldview isn't an easy thing to do. But I want you to keep reading. I promise it's going to be worth it. Amen. Hey, everybody. This is Tanika Drake from God's Gift Through His Word. You are tuned in to Walk in Truth Radio with none other than Pastor Jay. Remember about his encouraging word, his real talk weekend, and never forget to tune in every chance you get for his amazing Dig Deeper Bible study and help you grow in your faith, help you grow in the knowledge of the Lord so you can be a stronger Christian and have your foundation really anchored in the word. So remember to be blessed, motivated, and inspired, and you all enjoy today's message from Pastor Jay.